The full power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is contained in the Book of Mormon, period. And the Book of Mormon is replete with examples of disciples and prophets who knew and understood and were transformed by the enabling power of the atonement. Remember this declaration by Jesus himself. Whoso treasureth up my word shall not be deceived. And in the last days, neither your heart nor your faith will fail you. Hey there. Welcome to episode 76 of the Book of Mormon podcast. Kevin and Shelby here talking with you today and to one another (laughs) about Mosiah chapter 10. And it's just Shelby and I today. We don't have a guest. We will soon though. (laughs) Don't worry. We haven't let our foot off the guest gas pedal just yet. We love having guests and, you know, not only do we get their perspective, we get, um, it's a different spiritual experience for us um, to kind of gather with other saints, you know, fellow saints. And with that being said, I do want to open this episode by saying, if you listen to our podcast, even every once in a while, we would love to hear from you. Just not necessarily if you don't have any like feedback from the podcast saying like, Hey, you could do this better. Or you could like, this could be an idea if it's just, Hey, I really like what you said about Zenith. I really like what you said about this. Um, Cause we have a few people who do that. And in I don't take that for granted at all. I love hearing from people who get excited, as excited as we do about the Book of Mormon. Yeah. And I also want to say, or we also want to say that if you're new, welcome to the Book of Mormon podcast. I know that we had several new people listen from our episode with Paul, and it was a wonderful episode to listen to for your first time. So he was amazing and stole the show, but... Now you get to just see, you know, me and Kevin today, but (laughs) we're glad that you came back to listen and hopefully this um, somehow enriches your studies of the Book of Mormon in some way. So that's, um, that's all we wanted to say in the beginning, I think here. I'm just glad that we do have people who listen because it really uh, warms my soul, but somehow, some way, something that Kevin or I say or our guests say. Um, through the Spirit, will bless, um, will bless your guys' lives because I know it blesses ours. So, yeah, we we've been doing this for going on about a year and a half, maybe a little bit over a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and my study of the Book of Mormon has been deepened, and you know those those verses that maybe you go over. Um, a little bit too quickly. We're still going, we're still missing some every once in a while, but 
uh, I feel like I'm catching more, you know, before it was like, uh, you know, um, people back in like the California gold rush, you know, when they were looking for gold mm-hmm. uh, and they Panning. have like sif- yeah, pans and like sifters and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, before I started studying in this way, I had like a pan with like, or like a sifter with a bunch of big holes, <laughs> you know, so a lot, a lot would go through. Mm-hmm. But as I've taken the time to narrow my vision, narrow my studies to just one chapter per week or, you know, one verse or a couple verses each day and then follow all the footnotes and go everywhere that I want to go. You know, I'm slowly tightening, you know, that making that little hole smaller and I, that big, relatively big nugget of gold that would have went right through it before I see it. Hmm. And I treasure it. (laughs) And with that being said, let's go ahead and dive in and feast on this chapter, this next chapter, chapter 10. So, uh, well, let's go ahead and read the header or the heading. It says, King Laman dies. His people are wild and ferocious and believe in false traditions. Zenith and his people prevail against them. And this takes place or, or covers a time period of about 187 to 160 BC. Shelby, do you have anything that you want us to revisit from the last chapter to bring us up to current or? Okay. If anything does come up that we want to like address from before, we can do that as we go forward. Okay. Cool. Well, what would you like to start with? I was thinking that the beginning, not not that we're going to skip over the verses because we don't really do that. Or Kevin, <laughs> Kevin doesn't let me do that. <laughs> but um, I, th- I was thinking that the beginning, uh, my study is really focused in the end of the chapter. So I feel like I might make some references to the end of the chapter. But um, at this point... King Laman, well, we're going to find out that King Laman dies and there's a new king that gets uh, placed in his stead. Um, But before we get there, after Zenith and his people were attacked, they then begin to make, well, they prosper and the Lamanites leave them alone because the strength of the Lord, right? We talked about that last week. And then what I find interesting is immediately in the next chapter, again, they're... um, they're building and possessing the land to establish it. And he says, I cause that there should be weapons of war made of every kind that thereby I might have weapons for my people against the time the Lamanites should come up again to war against my people. So he knows, Hey, just because they came this time doesn't mean they're not going to come again. And so immediately he begins making preparations because we learned last time they weren't prepared. So I underlined that and I thought, wow, that's a, First of all, that's an insightful leader learning from the past. Like, we'd be fools to think they're not going to come up again, right? Um, at least that's what I would think. And so they begin to take preparation, and they do that in verse 2. They set guards around the land. And um, one thing – well, do you have anything to say about that, Kevin? 
you and I do from this week's study and then also um, studying some outside sources. Um, Church sources. Correct. Yeah, out, <laughs> yeah outside, like... <laughs> outside of just uh, the Book of Mormon student manual or the Book of Mormon itself. No, there's we. Ha- I have to give a shout out because you know I've been I've been kind of like waist deep in his content um, every day for the past week and a half. But there's a guy who he runs a a podcast and YouTube channel, which is kind of like what I think Shelby and I secretly aspire to, just in <laughs> terms of his his influence, his reach, mm-hmm. um, and just the the quality of content but this guy's like a total stud he's like he's like <laughs> a a student like a formal student of religion and he's an institute teacher i believe um currently up in uh, like the at the university of utah and stuff like that but he runs a, a podcast called unshaken saints and definitely recommend it for this this year's doctrine and covenants come follow me but I'll let you go and, and look at that yourself. But something that he talked about was that, you know, Zenith, he brings his people down to repossess or inherit this, this land that was theirs to mm-hmm. inherit, you know, by, by their um, heritage. Mm-hmm. Right. But I want to address this. In verse one says, and it came to pass that we again began to establish the kingdom. So that kingdom, though, that he's establishing is not the kingdom of God. Like all these things that they do, it's a temporal kingdom, Mm -hmm. which is it means it's temporary. They they aren't, you know, sure they are acknowledging the Lord. They go forth in the strength of the Lord. They haven't forgot him, but I don't know how much uh, of the work of salvation they're doing. I think they're doing a lot of work for themselves and for, you know, for their brethren, Mm -hmm. but you know, they, they left Zarahemla where the church is established there's a seer there mm-hmm. in King Mosiah. And so they lack something down here in the land of uh, Nephi and Shalom. Right. And so I want, I want that to be something that we think about too. You know, yes, they're, they're prospering, but the reason I believe that it is just temporary and is, is not only because some of the decisions of their descendants, but also they didn't, they're not building up the church where they're at. They're only building up their temporal kingdom and not the kingdom of God. And that makes perfect sense. Cause my next, um, I guess insight, cause I paused to see if you had anything to say was that I, I underlined in verse two, he says, and thus I did guard my people and my flocks. And I kept them from falling into the hands of our enemies. And so immediately I underlined my people, my flocks. And I thought this is the first thing that he mentions 
that he's putting up all these parameters and, you know, to, to defend the land. It, the two most important things at this point that he's mentioned are my people and my flocks. Hmm. So it wasn't like a reason, as you would say, um, or taking what you just said, Kevin, about, oh, to prosper in the land of our inheritance, like to bring um, people to the work of salvation, to repent. Like it wasn't any of those reasons. It was my people and my flocks and keep them from falling into the hands of our enemies, which those are still good things to be protecting, you know. Um, But the first things that he mentions are those. It goes back to something that we've consistently brought up on this podcast, which is, uh, is it Maslow's Hierarchy. hierarchy of needs? Yes, it is. So, of course, like in the beginning, they do need to get shelter and raise their flocks and protect themselves because like you said it you'd be a fool to -hmm. think the lamanites are like oh we got beat once i guess we're just gonna let them eternally progress in this land and never go back (laughs) no they've got they're cunning they're come back yeah um but yeah those are the immediate things that that they do Mm -hmm. and it actually is for you know, in verse three, it says for the space of 20 and two years, mm-hmm. they inherited the land of their fathers. And in verse four, it talks about tilling the ground, raising all manner of grain and all manner of fruit of every kind. And in verse five, it talks about, you know, Zenith he caused, which I believe like when, when in the scriptures, I've really been noticing word the word cause Mm -hmm. when it says i did cause or the lord god caused there's some sort of like righteous influence or or just some influence depending on who it comes from but i believe this is righteous influence by saying hey i'm I'm causing my people to become industrious Mm -hmm. because that's good for the soul as well and i linked it back to second nephi uh, chapter five when they first uh, arrived in the promised land. Mm -hmm. And it says in verse uh, 17 of chapter five, Mm -hmm. it says, and it came to pass that I Nephi did cause my people to be industrious and to labor with their hands. And that, uh, caused them to not only be prosperous, uh, and, and, you know, have their needs met, Mm -hmm. but it also gave them a, a work ethic, to, to build um, upon the, the back of that with like service to God, service to others, things mm-hmm. like that. Which I believe is why in verse five, it says, thus we did have continual peace in the land for the space of 22 years. Right. But, and I'll say this before we move on 22 years, that's a long time to become complacent. Right. Mm -hmm. That's a long time to get real comfortable. And if you're just worried about if you only concern yourself with temporal things, I mean, my goodness, you're you're missing. You're raising a generation without the church. That's what I'm getting at. In 20 and two years, you're having kids. They're growing up, becoming full grown men and women 
who know nothing about Zarahemla, where you came from. Yeah, makes sense. But to kind of fight back with you a little bit, not that we fight on the podcast, but we know that they're not just forgetting about the Lamanites. I mean, here's the thing, I guess. um, I mean, they have to be doing something right if they're prospering, like if they're having peace and they're working. There has to be some sentiment of good works going on. And I believe that that is because Zenith, although he's an overzealous man, and although he's made some judgments and error, Mm -hmm. he still personally leads the people acknowledging the Lord, his God, and, and teaching people like the right ways of doing things, you know, being the opposite of, of what his previous leader, um, the, the austere bloodthirsty man man. would have done. So I'm not saying that Zenith is necessarily doing anything wrong. Mm -hmm. It's just that, I mean, they're sowing all these seeds and getting all this fruit, but what (laughs) fruit of the gospel are they, are they sowing for? Right. And, and all of this to build and like to kind of build up to the crescendo of uh, wickedness that is King Noah in the coming chapter, mm-hmm. right? So that's that's what I'm getting at is that they're, yes, right now they're doing great. And in as much as you shall keep my commandments, you shall prosper in the land. Mm-hmm. So there is probably some commandment keeping <laughs> and there is some, some good, wholesome living going on, mm-hmm. but, uh, I, they lacked, um, they did lack things. Yeah. And maybe it's that seership you talked about in the beginning. Yeah. Right. I think so. So anyway, I just didn't want to completely move past that before I said that. No, I appreciate that. Cause I'm not saying that they're like, <laughs> I'm like, look, there have been worse people on the scriptures. Uh, (laughs) Hey, listen, the the reason I think, again, the real reason that I'm bringing it up, this is like us in a lot of ways in our day. Um, There's a lot of good people who they do remember God. Mm -hmm. You know, they they acknowledge him. um, And but but. You know, from what I understand about the the coming generation, that more and more people are going to fall away from that. They're not going to walk after the ways of their fathers and mothers. They're going to find their own way and they're going to walk after the desires of their own hearts and the influences of the world. And so this embedded here is a cautionary tale yeah take care of your temporal needs but do not forget that in a coming day the spiritual welfare of your people the spiritual precautions a a spiritual fortress Mm -hmm. that we talked about this morning in in sacrament meeting there was a talk referencing Elder Rasband's talk several years back about building a fortress of faith, uh, specifically in the home. Uh, you know, 
again, I'm just seeing these parallels and these, these lessons in the book of Mormon that I'm like, cause I could have easily said like, why did, why does Zenith's record get included in the book of Mormon? Right. Mm-hmm. And I think this is one of the many reasons that it's, it is preserved because we can see um, a cautionary tale again for our day. I also think you can take from Zenith's plans of understanding his enemy or preparing to take on an enemy, right? Which are the Lamanites. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and I say that because we find out in verse six that King Laman died and his son begins to stir up the people or his son reigned, King Laman's son reigns in his stead. And then he begins to take stir up the Lamanites to prepare to battle against us or against the Nephites. And, um, but something I found interesting. So Zenith sends spies out around the land of Shemlon to discover their preparations. And he says that I might guard against them, that they might not come upon my people and destroy them. So once again, it relates back up to verse seven, when I seven, my people in verse two. I did guard my people and my flocks. So once again, it's still his priority, in my opinion, um, to guard them. And it's funny because Zenith was originally a spy himself. So he takes the tactic of him being a spy and is, is using that same thing, or he's using it again, right? Because he used to be a spy. That's how he saw that the people, or he believed the people weren't as bad as they thought they were. So... I thought that was interesting. He He's a spy again. He, and I also wrote on the side, um, intentions next to discover their preparations. Because hmm. I do believe that their actions or their preparations are going to show their intentions of their heart, right? Which a lot later in, in my studies, I went into a lot more about a sense of belonging and things. But um, I yeah. think we'll get there pretty quick. Right. Um, Because they do come up. The Lamanites do come up. Well, did you have anything to say about verse 7? No. The Lamanites do come up to the, upon the north. I'm going to read it. Upon the north of the land of Shilom with their numerous hosts, men armed with bows, with arrows, with swords, with scimitars, with stones, and with slings. And they had their heads shaved, and they were naked, and they were girded about, or girded with a leather girdle about their loins. So they come up to battle them. But... I believe Zenef knows <laughs> that this is going to happen. So he's been preparing his people, right? Mm-hmm. And so what Zenef does is he causes that the women and the children should be hit. They shouldn't take part in this battle, right? You guys go be safe. And then he causes that basically any man that can battle, you're going to battle. And he places them in ranks according to their age. And so he's like, all right, all the people that can and are physically able and I don't care how old or young, come on, I'm going to put, I'm going to put you in ranks. And then they go out to bat, uh, up to battle in verse 10 against the Lamanites, himself included for a second time. He's going to go up again. Um, And he says, we did go up in the strength of the Lord to battle. And then he says again, the Lamanites knew nothing concerning the Lord, nor the strength of the Lord. Therefore, they depended upon their own strength. Yet they were a strong people as to the strength of men. 
And I know there's a lot in there, um, but I wrote on the side, carnal security, like trusting in their own flesh, right? For sure. So a lot happens there. They they do come up to battle. It does happen again. Um, Zenith even goes up himself, takes all of his men with him, and they're, they're going up in the strength of the Lord again to battle, which shows that they do have some remembrance and some awakening still within them. That's right. Right. Right? So what thoughts do you have on those verses, Kev, if anything? My thoughts are that Zenith is a stud. (laughs) He definitely, you know, all of this is done out of this, uh, this belief that he has. And has had about, you know, establishing himself and his people in the land of their inheritance, which, you know, is, is at face value, it's noble. Mm-hmm. Um, and he... He obviously understands the Lamanites. You know, he he really learned from his interactions with uh, with King Laman. He understands them, their intentions, and he goes on now, starting in verse twelve, to really talk about these Lamanites. And I think the reason that he thought it was important to put it down, uh, one of the reasons he thought it was important to put down what he knew concerning the Lamanites and their intentions, their traditions, things like that, was to warn his people that be careful what your traditions are and be careful about what you choose to, you know, retain a remembrance of and make sure it's, it's the whole story. Because he goes in there, uh, starting in verse 12, he says they were a wild and ferocious and a bloodthirsty people, believing in the tradition of their fathers, which is this. And he goes on, he starts saying, he says, believing that they were driven out of the land of Jerusalem because of the iniquities of their fathers. Not their fathers, but their father's fathers. So Lehi and Nephi, Mm -hmm. right? And that they were wronged in the wilderness by their brethren, and they were also wronged while crossing the sea. And again, that they were wronged while in the land of their first inheritance, after they had crossed the sea. And all this because that Nephi was more faithful in keeping the commandments of the Lord. Um, Therefore, he was favored of the Lord, for the Lord heard his prayers and answered them. And he took the lead of their journey in the wilderness. That is a little insert by Zenith. He's saying, this is why Nephi was uh, was successful, right? It wasn't that he wronged anybody. Mm-hmm. And his brethren were wroth with him because they understood not the dealings of the Lord. Mm-hmm. They were also wroth with him because uh, upon the waters because they hardened their hearts against the Lord. And again, they were wroth with him when they had arrived in the promised land, because they said that he had taken the ruling out of, 
uh, ruling of the people out of their hands, and they sought to kill him. What do you want to say? Read verse 16. Okay, good. And again, they were wroth with him because he departed into the wilderness as the Lord had commanded him and took the records which were engraven on the plates of brass, for they said that he had robbed them. And that's crazy, right? Mm-hmm. That if, if anything is crazy out of all the stuff that I read, <laughs> that's crazy. They're mad because he took the records with them. They didn't value the records. Who, who, who was uh, studying the records? Who risked their life to go get the record? Who persisted to get the record, like persevered? to get that record from Laban way back in the day, Mm -hmm. you know, who paid the price to, to ensure that that record was kept. It was Nephi and it was Lehi. Um, and yeah. So all these things are just, these are what the, the heading, the chapter heading refers to as these false traditions. Mm -hmm. So um, I wanted to read up to verse or talk up to verse 16 um, because, Kevin, you said this earlier. There's I underlined six reasons they gave for traditions of their fathers um, that Zenith explained about being wronged in the wilderness, being wronged um, after they crossed the sea, like Nephi is more faithful than it. Like those are all reasons. And you said, well, you've said it very briefly, but all of these reasons are, they took, it's always someone else's fault, right? Like all of these reasons blame somebody else. And because of that blame, um, they're angry, okay? And they're angry because they, like we read, they don't understand the Lord. But I wanted to, and they, and it says the word wrath four times. So we have six reasons and we have four times of being wrath um, or angry or wrathful is what I wrote down. So these people are really angry. The Lamanites are very, very angry. So I thought um, to myself when reading, it's like, I really want to understand the Lamanites. I really do. I want to try to understand them. And I was reminded of a video that I watched a long time ago um, by Dr. Brené Brown, who is a social worker. And she's a master. I think she has a PhD now in social work. But she said, she's amazing. She said, blame is the discharge of discomfort and pain. So when they're here giving all their reasons of blaming others, it's because at some point they felt discomfort or pain because of these things. And instead of, what's the word? Let me, well, hold on. I'm going to go on about blame for a second. So blame is the inverse relationship of accountability. And so um, this is vulnerability. When, when you're accountable, you are vulnerable because then you have to talk about your feelings. Hey, I'm hurt, right? Like, hey, this really hurt my feelings that you did that or that you made this plan by yourself uh, to go back and get the golden plate. So I thought to myself, 
Imagine if Laman and Lemuel would have just done that in the very beginning when they first left Jerusalem and did that with their father, right? Like Lehi and been like, dad, I really don't understand like why we have to leave and we're vulnerable and accountable for their feelings instead of blaming it all on their father. But that's a scary thing to do because you're being vulnerable and maybe there's some insecurities that they have of feelings and emotions that they're not willing to express because of whatever reason that is. I'm a man. I know better. I'm tough. I'm strong. Like, I don't know. These are just things I'm thinking of that could have been running through their mind. They were comfortable where they were. They didn't see a need. They didn't see a reason. And so, but because they didn't do that, in the very beginning to talk about their feelings and communicate and and be accountable and be vulnerable, it turns into this big blaming game, right? And there's no accountability. There's nothing. I didn't do anything wrong. It was all their fault. And they didn't have a sense of belonging, I believe. They didn't have a sense, a strong sense of love and belonging. I really don't think they understood where they fit these Lamanites because I'll say this in verse 17, they began to teach their children that they should hate the Nephites and murder them and rob and plunder them and do all they could to destroy them. Therefore, they have an eternal hatred towards the children of Nephi. Right. And Kevin's talked about this a lot before on, on past episodes about eternal hatred. But I really believe that the reason they were blaming and, the, and, and all these things that I just mentioned, they were not, I don't think when they were teaching their children, they weren't like sharing. All they were sharing was the feelings of anger and discomfort. They weren't talking through their feelings of how to express them like correctly. Because that's all they learned from their fathers back, you know, Laman and Lemuel. And so it got passed down. And talk about if you're a social worker or you studied any psychology, you'll know that in verse 17 here, you do see some social learning going on. (laughs) You see their children learning and observing the parents. And then they just do the same thing when it comes time. Right. Because they've learned it and then they do it. And so I really just believe that the Lamanites didn't have a sense of belonging because they didn't, they didn't know God. It really goes back to understanding that you're a child of God, right? And that he does love you and he has a plan for you. And sometimes it takes leaving comfort into discomfort to grow. And you have two choices. You can be accountable or you can blame. And they blamed. And it's, led thus far in the Book of Mormon. I mean, it's not a pretty thing to blame and take no accountability. So anyway, that was a lot of my thoughts. But blame is the discharge or is the discharge of discomfort and pain. So I will say this. We as humans are very, we blame very quickly. Like one time I told this story at an institute, but Kevin had a water, like a cup of water on the nightstand. And I was making the bed and my pillow, when I moved the pillow, (laughs) it hit the cup of water on the nightstand and fell and the water went everywhere. And the first thing I said was, dang it, Kevin, 
did Kevin actually hit the water? <laughs> like, didn't, you know, no, Kevin did not do that. I did that. But immediately I went to blame. So it's interesting. I, I, I would invite everyone listening to think about how often am I blaming? Because we see the effects of blaming right here, how bad it can get. It can get so bad that you're teaching your children without even knowing it, probably. I don't think the Lamanites knew. I think they knew, but they didn't. I don't know. It's like this weird thing for me, but it can get pretty bad if we don't take accountability. <laughs> so end Shelby rant. Kevin, thoughts go. I want to hone in on just one of the last things that you said, which was how the Lamanites did teach their children to hate the Nephites. You know, it wasn't there. It doesn't necessarily say explicitly. I don't think they were gathering the children in classrooms. No. Mm -mm. And indoctrinating them with, you know, <laughs> like North Korea style, you know, authoritarian government indoctrination, right? Where it's like, hey, this right here is the enemy and you should hate them because they've done all these things to you uh, and, to, and to your fathers and things like that. It, it was, it's probably around the figurative kitchen table or living room or out in public and just this sort of this communal discomfort Mm -hmm. the the communal the environment is it's, what i'm getting it's at the offhanded comments it's the offhanded right. stories it's it's social learning theory if you know what that is <laughs> so i'm glad you said something about telling a story mm -hmm. because that it's been on my mind a lot for a bunch of different reasons and and so just to kind of break it down, you know, when you tell a story, you're sharing your beliefs, right? Because yes, you when, you, when you tell a story, all of your values start to seep through the words, unless you're reading mm -hmm. someone else's account. But even then, unless you're abiding strictly to it, uh, you're you're going to let some of your values and beliefs come out. And even in your tone of voice as you read, mm -hmm. even if you don't add any commentary, you'll get to one part where you slow down a little bit. Because you may not understand. You may not understand or it agree or with agree with belief. it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So like the perfect example is, well, actually, no, it's okay. No example. Keep going. Okay. So again, I, I'm going to jump down to verse 19, which Beside that verse, I wrote telling a story just to remind myself of this. It says, and now I, Zenith, after having told all these things unto my people concerning the Lamanites, I did stimulate them to go to battle with their might, putting their trust in the Lord. Therefore, we did contend with them face to face. So even Zenith told his people a story. And it was a story about, hey, these guys, the Lamanites, they hate us because of all these things that they've told their children about us and about our fathers. So know 
that they they will have no mercy when they come in here, mm. right? So he told a story to stimulate his people, and that was based on the Lamanites' story, their culture, their beliefs, mm-hmm. which were, uh, I don't know, uh, and <laughs> I think the word is anathem. It's basically like the the opposite or or very detrimental to the the people the the nephites here and so um oh and and in verse 18 i guess we i skipped it but it says for this cause so this is before zenith says that he's told all those things to his people in verse 18 before that for this very cause has King Laman by his cunning and lying craftiness and his fair promises deceived me that I have brought this, my people up into this land that they may destroy them. Yea, And we have suffered these many years in the land. That's him telling a story too. He's in a way he's not helping the issue. Mm-hmm. He's saying, Hey, King Laman, he deceived me to, to establish in this land and build it up because of his craftiness and his cunning, because he hates us. He's blaming. Who is? So you're saying that uh, Zenith is blaming King Laman? Um, he's definitely attributing some blame <laughs> to King Laman because, I mean, he says, well, and here, let me say this, I guess he did take accountability back in chapter nine, because when we talked with Paul in the last episode, um, it's almost as if in verse nine, Zenith is writing like, oh, okay, I, I realize he's reflective, like learn from what I did. So I think he did take accountability, but this would have been one of those moments where he's like, just hold on, let me. <laughs> Let me share something here, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know exactly what I want to take away or what I, I'm, I'm suggesting that you or people listening take away from this. I haven't fully mm. uh, thought it out. It is, it is fairly fresh in my mind because I only just started reading this in that light, in this way largely because of what you have been talking about today, right? You shared some things with me. I'm reading it a little differently to try and figure out, you know, if there's something, if there's something to be you know, extracted there. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, again, you know, I, I don't want it to be, I think I, I speak a little bit critically of Zenith. Um, but I also, I acknowledge that he, he did believe that what he was doing was right. I mean, overzealous doesn't mean bad. It just means that maybe you didn't take everything into account before you hitched up your wagons and went down there. Um, and he did the best he could where, you know, w- with what he had. Um, but again, he I don't think he went forth with any authority to go and establish the land. He, as far as we can tell, 
Um, well, actually, that's not true because he did. <laughs> uh, I was about to say he, that he he didn't necessarily try to establish any church or anything like that. But I mean, in the next chapter, we do have King Noah, who he had um, he had priests and things like that. So they may have been following, and we'll definitely get into it next week, and then you know when we get there. But they were following a ceremonial law, but not a moral law. Right. So they were they were um, performing all the things that they should, you know, outwardly, but there was no inward dedication or devotion to God. Uh, I don't know where that necessarily came from. I don't know if it was a um, something that Zenith lacked, that he didn't teach his people or his sons correctly or fully. Maybe, and, and here's another thing. He was so focused on protecting his people and their flocks from the Lamanites, from a temporal danger mm -hmm. that I don't believe he took maybe he would he would have argued well, I don't have time to prepare them for a spiritual enemy because we are we're, as he says we're suffering in these lands or in this land for many years um, it's tough out here you know, all of all of this is like he could have seen himself as a as a um, a steward or not a steward of a generation. His generation was that of like safeguarding and like saying, hey, you know, we're going to we're going to develop this land. We're going to protect it. And then that next generation, you know, maybe my son will uh, establish the church and then establish relations back with Zarahemla and, you know, we'll, we'll receive, uh, you know, communicate from the church and, and we can, we, we can begin doing this thing. But for right now, really got to just focus on what's most important, which is my people and my flocks. Mm -hmm. Right. So what do you, what are your takeaways? Sheldon? or what, what else do we want to talk about before we. Well, um, Maybe those who have never heard the story, or if you're listening, they the Lamanites uh, they do not prosper against uh, Zenith and his people. So um, they beat them in battle, and they go back to their land, and they once again tend hmm. to their flocks until their ground. Um, and in 22 it says, "I, I being old, because Zenith at this point, I mean, it's been it's been 22 years plus." you know, 12 years uh, before that, before they came to battle the first time. So we're talking 20, 34 years, right? Total. Mm -hmm. So he's getting old and he says he confers the kingdom on one of his sons. Okay. Implying that he has many sons, mm -hmm. picks one of them and he picks the worst one, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> it's expedient, right? We'll, well, we'll talk about that. Again, <laughs> Not always the best judge of character, Zenith. Yeah, yeah, one of one of his 
weaknesses. Um, anyway, so that's how that chapter ends. They, they do win, and he then confers the kingdom upon one of his sons. So I just wanted to finish that off there before, because that will set us up for chapter 11, which his son's name is Noah, and he becomes King Noah, right? Because he's the king now. So, yeah, my takeaways, to be honest, I mean, in this whole thing is that it's important to recognize, for me, (laughs) I'll speak for myself and nobody else, but I really learned that the power that blaming and not taking any accountability had in the role of the Lamanites. Like I really tried to put myself in the Lamanite shoes. And um, I think even, I think even a little bit Zenith blamed a little bit about King Laman deceiving him and things. Um, I do think there were other accounts where he did take accountability and said he was overzealous and did have regret. Um, So it's just important that we find ways to, release and emotionally cope with discomfort or pain that we feel because it can be uh, reverted in some other way that's that's not healthy and it's not it's not good <laughs> so that that was a I literally wrote on 17 on the side I put learning how to cope with emotions correctly because they didn't cope with their emotions right the you know they just blamed everything yeah so, anyway, those are my takeaways. Man, my my concluding thought, my my last thing, you know, we talked about it from the very beginning. <clears throat> Zenith's narrow view, uh, his... Uh, nearsightedness mm-hmm. with regard to his people and his flocks. <clears throat> um, I mean, sure, there there was a, a long-term element to that. Like, hey, if we can't, if we can't protect ourselves and feed ourselves, then we're not going to last very long out here. <clears throat> but there was no long-term perspective that he tapped into to in order to lead his people in the way of truth and light in the gospel, which, you know, he, he at least on a surface level understood that it is because of the Lord and my faith in him and his strength that we are, succeeding yeah why didn't he hammer home on that more okay okay right okay okay, wait 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 wait. everything just came like full circle for me just now okay so if you don't know just stay for this part i promise it will be important don't leave yet so if you don't know maslow's hierarchy of needs it goes like this the very basic needs that you need they're called your basic needs are physiological needs and safety needs. So physiological, like food, water, warmth, rest, 
safety, security, safety, right? Obviously, that's what that means. Once you have those needs met, you then move to your physiological needs, which are, which are feelings of belonging and love and self-esteem. So those are things like relationships, friends, feelings of accomplishment. And then once you have those needs met, because they build on one another, then you reach self-fulfillment uh, needs, which Maslow's whole thing was self-actualization, which is achieving your full potential. And so here we have Zenith and his people, and they are so stuck on basic needs, like of, of needing to feel safe and, and preparing the land and, you know, tilling the ground and protecting our flocks and protecting our people, that they cannot move from basic needs to physiological needs, which is where you start to learn the sense of belonging and friendships and the temporal spiritual needs, right? That's where you, the community of of the saints comes in in the church. And so I think that's why they couldn't move from their basic needs of safety because they always felt threatened. They always had something lurking back there that was keeping them from moving up into the second, the other needs because they had to build on it. You can't, you can't move from that, from your basic needs until they're met. So the threat of the Lamanites had went away. I think they could have moved into that second realm of let's build temporarily or spiritually, right? Our spiritual welfare now because we know we're safe here. So we don't have to worry about that. They were in the part of their brain. That's the fight, flight, freeze, where they're only thinking, how do I protect myself? How do I protect my land? How do I protect my people, my flocks? Um, because that's all they can think about right now is how do I respond right now? They can't move past into their other brain that thinks rationally and can comprehend a little more because they're stuck. They were literally stuck from a psychology standpoint. So, yeah, that's what I think to answer your question. Right? Yeah. I don't know. This would be really cool to write a book on. <laughs> okay. Anyway, just saying. We'll, we'll leave that up to you, Sean. <laughs> Tell me what you guys think of that. Let me know. I want to know. I could be really wrong, but I, I, I think I'd like some insight from other people listening. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, th I think it's super sound. I mean, we, we keep on coming back to that, that what would you call that, a, a concept, a model, mm -hmm. right? It's a, yeah, it's like a theory a theory yeah um it's it's we started i don't know when it first came up in the book of Mormon podcast but it's a reoccurring theme that's like man some of these people aren't getting they're not getting past a certain level of development and other people are i, I scrolled back at the very end of what you said i scrolled back to chapter eight or seven actually and I saw there in verse one, you know, after continual peace in Zarahemla, uh, King, King Mosiah was desirous to know concerning the people who went to dwell in the land of Nephi uh, or Lehi, mm -hmm. which are the people that we're talking about now, Zenith and his posterity mm -hmm. um, and descendants and his people. Right. And so the the people under 
King Benjamin's rule and then Mosiah's rule, they were able to get out of this basic necessities level of thinking and living. And it led them to go and find their brethren. Mm-hmm. And you have like these two parallel parallel stories of these people. One, they're doing really well. They're surpassing the the basic needs mm-hmm. and getting into spiritual physiological needs. Physiological needs. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, those are physiological needs are your basic needs. Sorry. Oh, okay. I messed that up. It's your psychological needs. Right. And then you have a people who can't necessarily get out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, that's, that's an interesting, that's an interesting thing to take away. My last, uh, so now my last thing, and it's just interesting that the very last thing that Zenith says, says, I say no more and may the Lord bless my people. Amen. Something about that, you know, some people might think, oh, you know, he's his last words, you know, asking the Lord to bless his people. Something about that doesn't sit right with me. And like, like <laughs> that was a weird look that Shelby just gave me. And I understand why, because <laughs> at face value, that's a very noble thing to put down as your last words. The the only reason it doesn't sit right with me is because again, like this makes me seem like I'm just like going hard, very critical of Zenith, but even his last words free himself of accountability. He says, please Lord bless my people. Like I'm not saying what, what hasn't Zenith, spent his whole life, the majority of his life, I'm sure, in the service of his people, trying to get them up and running, establishing this kingdom. But, you know, he had to have missed the mark somewhere um, with with how his people descend into wickedness and abominations. And I know that, you know, the the... Uh, the blame does not only fall upon him, right? They, that he's not accountable for all of their actions. But um, the, the reason I bring it up is not to just cast, um, uh, you know. A stone. A, a stone, yeah. It's to get us thinking about what we're doing here and now with our families, with our friends, to prepare us, all of us, for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, are we just going to say, and may the Lord bless our people, may the Lord bless our country, may the Lord bless my family, or are we going to get in there and make sure that they they know everything that they need to know, preaching, faith in Jesus Christ, repentance, and so on and so forth, like the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's 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 the only reason I bring it up. So not to say, man, Zenith really, he, he really didn't do a good job because he did amazing things with his life. He had an incredible life. Um, there's so much that I 
have learned while studying his life. And, and there's probably more that I'll get to learn in the future when I go back through these verses. Um, but that's what I think of as we're, we're kind of winding down. <laughs> what, what am I not doing? I look at Zena if I say, okay, maybe he missed some things. What am I missing? Mm. That's what I'm, that's what I'm really getting at. So I hope, I hope nobody's like, you know, just throwing the, throwing the phone out the window and like, man, these guys, all they want to do is talk trash about the Lord's anointed, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm saying, what am I, what am I, what can I do better? Because I want to learn. It's just a different scriptures. perspective that you have that you're looking at it from. Yes. Cause oh, I look, I look at it as he's older. He's conferring the kingdom. He's getting ready to die. Like he knows. And so he's saying, you know, Lord bless my people. I'm about to leave. And I've, I've, I've done what I could. I've yes. made mistakes, but bless them, you know? So I look at it completely different. It's just your perspective. Yeah. So it's okay. <laughs> That's why I gave you a weird look at first. But yeah. after listening to you talk, I'm like, it's just, he looked at it differently. He was reading the scriptures with a different lens on. Yeah. Well, um, that's another another episode in the books. Um, another chapter ended. Yep. And next week we're gonna go and we're gonna learn about King Noah, this son of Zenith, who, as it says, did not walk in the ways of his father. And so even that, and of course that's, that's Mormon writing that. And so maybe I need to trust that Mormon knew that, Hey, Zenith, he's all right. You know, yeah, he, he did do a lot of good things, but his son, he didn't follow in those. He didn't Zenith. He set his people up for success. And Noah, he just fumbled the ball, or he purposely, looked, or fumbled. yeah, or he he looked at the ball and said, "Nah, I don't want to play that sport anymore." Mm-hmm. Right? I've got other things I want to do, like abominations and whoredoms. <laughs> All right, then <laughs> we're ready to end, right? <laughs> yep, we sure are. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for listening. All right. Y'all have a great week. Yeah, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.